0: All right. as Alex said, uh, tonight's a little different. Normally our first half of the night is just walking verse by verse through a text and making sure we understand it, and then the second half is application. Uh, Tonight is actually just two, two different halves both on application, kind of applying some of the truths from Ephesians 5 where we talked about what a biblical godly marriage looks like, and now we're going to back that up into where we are now, which is singleness and dating. And so we decided to do two halves, the first is singleness, the second's dating, I'm doing one, Scott's doing one, and uh, it was a pretty easy call that I would be the one doing singleness because um, I am an expert on being single in college, all right? Uh, that's right. I, uh, I am an expert at not having a girlfriend in college, I was very good at that, all right? Uh, I was the master at not having dates in college, and so it just, in fact, I can count, I can count not just on one hand, but on one finger, the amount of dates that I had in college. Her name was Heather Colston. <laughs> That's right. Her <laughs> name was Heather Colston. I did not even know her that well, so this was a bad idea from the get go. But I got pressured into calling her up. I thought she was kind of cute. I got pressured into calling her up. Uh, my friend Mike Ackerman, especially, just kept kind of hounding me on this until finally I just kind of like cold called this girl. Um, <laughs> From we, the dorm directory. From the dorm directory. That was a real thing. Okay, so we had this thing. We had the dorm directory at Ozark. And no kidding, this was not, it used to be the nickname of it, but by the time like I was in there, it was the official name of it. It was on there. It was called the Wish Book. Um, and the reason why is because you could go through it and had everybody's pictures and it had their little dorm directory extension. And you could wish for who you you might marry, or a wish for who might go out on a date with you. So I look through the wish book, I find Heather Colston's number, I give her a call, and ask her very nervously if she might want to go out with me, and she says yes. And so we go out, I take her to Panera, and uh, that's right, hey, big spender, I know, I go uh, take her to Panera for lunch, and then I take her to this little coffee shop thing, um, and and we hang out for a little bit, and it was okay, I mean, we, 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 we connected all right, and talked all that stuff, and after it's done, I go drop her off at, uh, the, uh, at her dorm there, and as she's about to get out, I just say, hey, I, I had a really good time with you tonight, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime, if you're interested, and uh, she responded with, and I quote, cool, <laughs> which... Like I know, I know all the girls. You're getting it right, but just for any of you guys who might not be totally getting that, let me just translate. All right, uh, if you ever ask a girl out on a date and she responds with "cool," okay, that's translation. The translation there is, um, "I'm trying to be nice to you, but please don't ever ask me out again, weirdo." Okay, so that was that was my one date in college, um, and that's why I am so uh, so qualified to talk about singleness here tonight, and because I'm qualified to talk about singleness, uh, what I want to do tonight is I'm going to tell you why you are single. Each and every one of you, I'm just going to go up to you and tell you the specific reason why you are single. To- no, uh, that would be the worst night ever. So you guys are like, I am getting out of here. Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to talk to you about the reason you're single. I'm going to talk to you about the purpose for your singleness, why singleness exists, Why it is that God didn't like make us to just automatically have a mate from the moment we're born. There's a reason that you start life single and that you spend much of your time single before it gets to that point. And so I want to talk through that with us a little bit tonight. Um, I'm going to talk to you about two major reasons. But before I share these purposes for singleness, I want to share with you just a little bit of a secret about singleness. It's one that a lot of people don't know. And that is that singleness is a really, really good thing. It's a really good thing. And I know that that runs contrary to what a lot of you feel. And I know that runs contrary to the way the world makes us feel about singleness and the way the world talks about it as though it is a problem to be solved or a stage of life to kind of get through and hopefully until you can find that one person who, who completes you or, 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 or makes you feel alive or whatever it is, but, but it's truth. Uh, some, of you, some of you here tonight are single and you hate that. You hate being single. And, and it, it drives you crazy and you feel lonely and you feel frustrated about it. And, and some of you um, are, are single and you're fine with that, um, but you, you hope to not be. And, and there is this little voice inside of you that wonders every year that you're at school and you still don't have a boyfriend or you still don't have a girlfriend. Or every time uh, one of your friends ends up dating someone, you have this kind of little voice in the back of your mind that goes, uh, why not me yet? Like is there something wrong and there's this little fear that maybe I'm going to always be this way and, and singleness is this thing that even when we talk about it, maybe makes you just a little bit uncomfortable or you're just thinking, the last thing I wanted to do was come and think about the fact that I, that I don't have someone, um, that I'm single, but I want to tell you tonight, first of all, it's okay if you want to be married. That's an okay thing. That's a good thing. That's, that's something that, that God put inside of you. I think God made us, and, and, and we're made for companionship, and so for a lot of us, that it lends itself towards wanting to be married. And that's a good desire. Marriage is a good thing, but so is singleness. Um, in fact, it's, it's not just a good thing. There are some people who would say that in specific circumstances, it might be a better thing. And, and, and you may be thinking, Drew, this is easy for you to say. You're, you're married. You don't have to be single anymore. You don't have to wonder if you're going to find someone or anything like that. But this is not just my words that I'm sharing with you. I'm actually giving you the words and the advice of a single man, of a very famous single man, of the guy whose words we've been studying uh, all semester long. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians that we've been walking through, wrote many of the books in the New Testament, including a book called 1 Corinthians. He, wrote, we have, he actually wrote, we believe, four uh, letters to the Corinthians, but we have two of them that are documented and are in our New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is answering just a number of different questions to the church that they have asked him about what it is to kind of live this Christian life, including this section where he talks to, starts to talk about marriage and sex, and singleness, and engagement, and widowhood, and all of these things. And he just answers these questions that they have. Questions like, I know this sounds weird, is it okay for a husband and wife to be having sex? And that's a weird one. There were some people who were teaching that sex is kind of this, such a dirty thing that even within marriage, that that's not a good thing, that you shouldn't be concerned about that stuff. And Paul writes to debunk that. So that's not true. And, and they're asking these different questions about marriage and all this stuff. And so Paul, uh, Paul writes and he begins to answer some of these things. But one of the things he says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8 is really interesting. We're not going to go through the whole chapter tonight, but I would encourage you to take a 20-30 uh, a, a minutes sometime this week and just read through 1 Corinthians 7. Here's what he says in chapter 7 verse 8. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. What he means by as I am is single. It is good for them, not it's okay if you're single. Not, hey, you'll be all right. You can make it through this. That's fine, okay? No, it is good if you will remain single, if you remain as I am. Later on, he actually doubles down on this when he discusses whether couples who are together and in a serious relationship, whether or not they should stay in that and move forward into marriage or whether or not they should break that off, or whether or not they should just kind of prolong that, that period of seriousness. And, and Paul's answer is, if you, if you have a strong desire to get married, and this is a person who's a Christian there in the Lord, he says, then, then yeah, you can move ahead and be married. That's not sinful. That's not less spiritual. That's not like weaker. You can do that. But he goes on to say in verse 38, so chapter 7, verse 38, So then... He who marries his fiancee does well, but he who does not marry will do better. So he doubles down on this idea that actually if, if you don't, you will do better. And, and then he continues in verse 39 to talk about uh, widowhood. He says a wife is bound as long as her husband is living. That is, she needs to stay with her husband and not divorce and, and vice versa. That's true, husband and wife, until one has died. As long as they're married, they are bound to each other. But she says, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. That is, they they need to be a Christian. They need to be a follower of Jesus. Then he says in verse 40, but she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. That is, I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm like speaking to you with the wisdom that I have been given from the Spirit of God, I, I, I think that a widow who loses her husband, even though she could get married and that would be totally okay, Paul says, I, I think she'll be happier if she doesn't. And these are some strong words in the middle of this context, in the middle of the day and age that Paul is writing to If that sounds odd to you today, you need to know that back in the first century, and in the culture and context that Paul writes those things, that would have been crazy talk. Like, like this is a culture where you don't really have an identity in and of yourself. Your identity comes from your family, comes from your community. And, and so, um, there wasn't really much of an option to be single. The Jewish culture didn't really trust singleness. Literally, there are quotes from rabbis that say, like, a man who is not married is not a proper man. Like, don't trust that guy. Something's off about him. Um... Which kind of even gives some insight into the way some people would have viewed Jesus, who was not married, right? Um, Caesar Augustus, so the Caesar who was not reigning when Paul was, but just a little bit before Paul wrote this, and he's the one who kind of set the culture for the empire in Rome, he made it a penalty where if you were a widow for more than two years, you had a two-year window after your husband died before you found somebody and got married. And if not, you would get taxed for that because singleness was not proper for the culture and it was a drain on the economy and drain on society and so you needed to be with someone. They didn't even have like a concept really of like a single career woman. It wasn't what you did back then. If you were a man, you were supposed to um, marry and pass on the family name. If you were a woman, you were supposed to marry and bear legitimate children and be a mom. That's, that's just what you did. And here Paul is in the middle of this culture and saying, you know what, if you don't get married, not only is that okay, that's good. And we don't have time to get into all of this. I'll just, I'll just give you kind of the Cliff Notes version. You'll, re- you'll see it if you're in chapter 7. But, but Paul's main The reason behind that is because you're not like the rest of the world who defines themselves by their situation. Oh, I'm married and that makes me who I am. Oh, I've got this husband. I've got this job. That's what makes me who I am. Paul says, no, 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 that's none of us. Jesus defines you first and foremost. Jesus is the one who makes you who you are, who makes you important, who makes you valuable, and therefore you don't need a relationship to have identity, to have value or worth. And so Paul is able to say that in the middle of this text. But why does Paul think that singleness is not just okay but even good? Why can singleness be a good thing? What is the purpose of singleness? Um, here's the answer. Here's why you are single. And by the way, even if you're dating someone right now, this applies to you. Because, yes, you are a couple. You are with someone. But, but technically, legally, um, you're, you're single, and, and in the eyes of God, until you're married, you're single. And so the things that we're going to say tonight applies to you just as much. Here's the first reason why you're single. It is so that God can grow you. You're single. The reason you have a period of singleness is that you can be grown up by God. Um, last week you heard Scott say this phrase. He said it towards the end. Marriage is for grown-ups. Marriage is for grown-ups. And by that, he wasn't saying that, well, if you're not married, it just must mean you're not grown-up yet. Or, you know, everyone who is married is grown-up. No, there, there are plenty of single people who are very grown-up and mature. There are plenty of married people who are not grown-up and ready for those things. But he says marriage is for grown-ups. What he's saying is that marriage is too important of a commitment. It is too big a deal to enter into without a certain level of maturity. Or the word that he used and that we're going to break down tonight is wholeness. Without wholeness, marriage is something that that should not be entered into without a certain level of wholeness. This is a word that we borrowed. You heard him use this guy's name several times last week, Randy Garris. We borrowed this word from Randy Garris. And he talks about wholeness being basically the ability to stand on your own two feet. The ability to be who you are Um, no matter what comes your way, to stay steady. Actually, Ephesians 4 talks about this, that when we grow up and mature, that we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and by every kind of doctrine, but that we're able to be steady in the middle of whatever life throws at us. That's kind of the idea of wholeness and what he's getting at. The reason we want to make sure that we come to marriage with wholeness and maturity is because when you marry, you are bringing someone else into your world, and so your problems become theirs. Your immaturities become theirs, and it has a potential to do a fair amount of damage um, if we we don't come to marriage with wholeness. Here's how we define wholeness. These are, again, from Garris. He gives five things. And truthfully, there's probably a number of things that we could talk about. But here are five things that Randy Garris gives that says, hey, this is what wholeness looks looks like. The first is this, uh, contentment. A person who is whole is content, specifically, with who they are. They are comfortable in their own skin. So you know how like in junior high, you were constantly trying on different identities and constantly trying kind of different groups and different um, ways of dressing and different, you know what I mean? And, and there's that one kid who is super obvious. He was like wearing cowboy boots last month, but this month he's like emo kid. And so, you know, he's really trying on different things. And all of us did this a, a little bit when we were in junior high. But there's a point and a lot of people never fully get there. But there's a point at which we need to be able to be comfortable with who we are, specifically who we are in Jesus, that allows us to not, not always question and not always try to figure out who we are. Do I, am I the funny one? Am I the pretty one? Am I the smart one? What, what makes me special that, that we are comfortable in our own skin? That, we, that we're okay with, even if there are things we know we need to grow in, even if there are things that we want to improve in, that we are content with who we are. The second one is going to sound similar, but it's not quite the same. The second uh, sign of wholeness is uh, happiness, specifically internal happiness. And here's what he means: he means um, the ability to to be to ha- to be happy without having to pin on exterior things. Okay, so that you have a joy that does not rely on external things like you've got to have really cool experiences going on or you need to be entertained or you need to be in a relationship or those kinds of things. And if you're not doing one of those things, then you find yourself just generally kind of unhappy in life, generally kind of frustrated. And, and, and so what you, you latch your happiness onto things outside of you and as long as those things exist as long as I got something fun to do as long as I get to travel as long as I get to hang out with this person as long as I get to be with them or, or as long as I'm going to movies or entertaining myself whatever it is then I'm good but if I'm ever just sitting in a room with myself I'm not very happy um, that's, that's a sign um, of unwholeness uh, to never be able to kind of sit with contentment, but, but always be kind of fidgety and, and, and wanting more in life. Uh, the third thing is this, morals, that you have for yourself, your own morals. A solid character, what I mean is a solid character that does not shift according to the context I'm in. So, morals are something, and actually this is true of all three of these things. Um, contentment, happiness, morals are all things that when you're a kid, you borrow, Babies don't, don't have the ability to con- create their own contentment. They're not content unless mom and dad hold them, feed them, change them, whatever. Babies don't have the ability to control and find their own happiness. And be happy within themselves. Again, we're specifically talking about the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, but, but babies don't have, they, they have to be kind of entertained, they have to be taken care of for those. Babies don't know right from wrong, they have to be taught those things. And so they borrow those things from their parents. Their parents teach them what's right and wrong, what to do in a given situation. And then as we get older, we tend to borrow those things from our peers. Our peers are the ones who help me be content or happy, or, or I kind of do what they do. Um, but as we, as we mature and find wholeness there needs to be a level of ethics of character in me that I am who I am and I do what I do regardless of the situation I'm in that those come from, from a standard that is uh, bigger than just me but it is something that I can hold to um, because I know of who I am here's uh, the fourth one people who are whole live well in community that is, they are able to make good and godly friends with their peers. Um, they don't always have to be the center of attention. They know how to relate to people of like, the same gender uh, as them and to connect with them and build good friendships without always being at odds with them. Um, they know how to connect and build friendships with people who are older than them, with like, intergenerational friends. We talk about connection to older believers, and they're able to relate to those who are older and wiser. Than them, those are signs of wholeness. Um, Lastly, um, the way he says it is one of the ways signs that you're whole is that you and responsibility have become good companions. That is, you know what responsibility is. You, you're, you're working to develop self-discipline and good habits in your life and doing the right thing even when it's hard and those kinds of things. Those are all signs of wholeness. Uh, Just uh, on a side note. Wholeness, I would say, is a bit more of a journey than a destination. It's, it's not necessarily something that you just kind of accomplish and it's done. We're always working towards wholeness. And so the, the standard is not that you have to be perfect at all five of those things before you're allowed to date anybody or get married. But there ought to be some evidence of those things taking place in your life. And if growth that is happening there... Um, the problem is that many people try to do this in reverse. That is, instead of going, before I get into a serious relationship, I need to make sure that I have contentment and happiness um, and morality. What many people do is go, I'm not content and I'm not happy and so I need a serious relationship. And that's a recipe for a lot of disaster A lot of people enter into marriage because they believe that's what will make me happy. Um, Or I'm not a really great guy, but she makes me a good guy. When I'm around her, it's like she gives me morals, she makes me more spiritual, she whatever, those kinds of things. Um, And they're borrowing it from the spouse. And that will work for a little bit to enter into a serious relationship to find happiness it will work for a short period but it will not last long let me give you a bit of a principle on, uh, on life and singleness and marriage here it is single you will be married you Okay? The person you are as a single person, you're going to be that same kind of person as a married person. If you struggle to be content or happy or responsible now, you will struggle to be those things after you're married. Marriage is not a magic threshold where all our struggles go away and we become mature I see a lot of guys who have bought into this lie that yes, I struggle with lust and I struggle with pornography and I struggle with sexual temptation but if I just get married and then I've got like a healthy outlet for that then I'll be fine and that's, that's a lie. It's not going to make those things go away. If you, if you refuse to put those things to death now they're not going to go away when you're married. If, if you struggle to be happy Now, if you think that marriage is going to fix that, it's not going to fix that. And this is good for you to remember when you date someone, too. If the guy or girl that you're interested in does not really have much desire for God's Word or community or serving others, don't expect that that's going to magically appear once you marry them. Single you will be married you. Now, I know Scott said last week that we all change, that we're all different, that we're not the same person we were when we were married. That's true when it comes to things like personality and interests. But what I'm talking about is character and maturity. And those things, yes, God can continue to grow a person. But if you wait and have to do all that growth once you're in marriage, you can sometimes do, you could save yourself a lot of heartache and you could save your future spouse a lot of heartache and hurt by allowing God to work those things in you before you're married, rather than having to learn all those lessons once you are married. Uh, God can use marriage to grow us, but it's not magic, it's a process. So use your singleness as a time to allow God to lead you towards wholeness. Okay, that's my, that's my longer one. This next one will be short, all right? Um, So the first thing is, you are single so that God can grow you. Here's here's the second one. You are single so that God can use you. And this is Paul's big point, actually, if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 7. One of the main reasons he says that singleness can be so much better is because it frees us up to be used by God for different things. Here's what he says in verses 32 through 35. He says the reason I'm talking to you about singleness, the reason I think that that could be a good option for many of you is because he says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he can please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So Paul does not think that marriage is a bad thing. You cannot read what he said in Ephesians 5 and think that marriage is a bad thing. He has a High view of marriage is this amazing, beautiful thing that God uses to show the love between Christ and the church. It is a big and glorious thing to Paul, but Paul says, let's just do the simple math. The time and energy, I only have so much time and energy in my day, in my week, in my lifetime. And the time and energy and emotion that I put into serving my wife, which I should do, But the time I put in towards that means that there is less time and energy and emotion to give towards kingdom things, to give towards serving others, to give towards ministry. And so I ought to serve my wife. I ought to love my wife. But Paul says just recognize the limitations that that will put on you and your ministry and your ability to serve. Um, When I was in college, I was able to spend every summer... Between my college, doing different things in ministry. I I spent a summer spending some time in Thailand and in India with some missionaries, getting to learn from and serve a little bit there. I spent a summer here, actually, interning with the youth ministry program at Sunnybrook. I spent a summer over in Turkey working with a, a missions organization there. That's not something that I can just pick up and do now. As much as I'd like to, if I felt this conviction, if I felt, man, they could really use me over there, I could really go help, I I can't just pick up and go do that for a summer. I I have a family, I have a wife and kids, and and one of the biggest tensions in my life, if I'm being real with you, has been trying to work through what it looks like to find a healthy balance between loving and serving my family and doing ministry well. And those two things always push against each other. I, I wish I could do more than I get to do sometimes. I wish I could hang out with you guys more than I get to hang out with you. I wish you could call just at any hour and I could just go show up and we could hang out and do stuff. That that doesn't mean that I wish I wasn't with my family. I, I wish I could do more stuff with my family. Do you see the two tensions that are going there? And it's not an awful thing. It's not like that's torture. It's just a reality that I have to be able to work through and think through. And singleness gives you a freedom to serve and to go and to do that you will not have when you're married. It's why so many things that have been done throughout church history, so many big things that have been done for the kingdom have been done by single people. Um, people who were either single for their whole lives and chose that path so that they could serve the kingdom, or people who were not yet married and chose to use the few years they had before marriage to serve God in whatever it was He called them to um, i 'll skip this section and just go to this. Um, When I was at, uh, when when I first started dating my wife Amy, we were at this thing called the Missions Training Institute in Colorado, in, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And, uh, and we had just kind of entered this relationship, and we knew that it was going to be pretty serious because we were both planning on going overseas to the mission field. And so we knew we were going in the same path, and so it was going to move quickly. And when you're at MTI, you're paired up with these mentors who used to be missionaries on the field. I was, I was paired up with this guy by the name of Robin, who uh, was who a South African missionary, and he had been married later in life. And, uh, and I, when I talked to him about how I was entering in this relationship with Amy, and, and he was very excited for me and thought that was awesome, and he said, I just want to give you this one piece of advice. And that is, he said, take advantage. He said, the clock is probably ticking now. You're probably going to be married sometime in the next year or two. So take advantage of every moment you have left as a single person to get to know the Lord better and better. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to know Him, to spend time with Him, and to serve Him. Because you're still going to get to do that when you're married, but not to the same degree. Not in the same way. And, and I've, I've had that in my mind and, and thought about that a lot. Um, there are some really amazing benefits with being married, like spiritually like the kind of ministry you can do when you're married and the kind of things you learn about grace and forgiveness when you're married. There are a lot of really great benefits. But there are a lot of really great benefits to singleness. And for many of you, you've only got a handful of years left before you, you lose out on the benefits of singleness. And so my encouragement to you tonight, before we jump to let's just find somebody to date, would be this. Do not waste your singleness. Do not waste the gift that God has given you in this moment so that you can give that time to Him for Him to do these two things, grow you and use you. That's why you're single. We'll talk about dating after the break here in just a minute.